I'd like to have you open your Bible with me to uh, Luke chapter 10, if you would, please. One of the, uh, the dangers of preaching is that people remember the preacher. And um, when his voice sounds like a bullfrog, it makes it more challenging. But I am really praying that you'll not hear Mark Holden this morning, that you'll hear what Christ has to say to you from the scripture. Before we read the passage together, I wanted to introduce to you an individual by the name of Catherine Susan, known as Kitty Genovese. On March the 13th, 1964, she was residing in New York City. And on that day, she was stabbed to death by a man named Winston Mosley near her home in her neighborhood in the borough of Queens. Two weeks later, a newspaper article reported the circumstances of her murder and the lack of reaction from numerous neighbors. The common portrayal of her neighbors as being fully aware of what was transpiring but completely unresponsive it was reported that there were somewhere in the vicinity of 38 people who in one way or other interacted with or witnessed a multiple stabbing that took place in two different locations, two different instances as her, uh, her attacker actually left her at one point and then returned again to finish the job. The, there's been further investigation concerning those uh, witness accounts and their lack of responsiveness and some of that's been challenged but I would leave this to you there were a lot of people who could have intervened who didn't there's actually now a, a psychological study that's been done named after her as to why people sit on their hands when they should be moving what is it that causes a group of people a crowd of people to stand seemingly paralyzed in the midst of a great traumatic event or circumstance when they ought to be jumping in and nobody jumps. What causes that? Why is that the case? Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Is Tim Knight here today? Okay. Anybody else here that's a lawyer? Good. Uh-oh, I said something wrong. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, and this is the lawyer part, not all lawyers are bad. 
but some have the ability to pick words apart. They like defining terms. He, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Lord, would you teach us about yourself? Would you teach us about ourselves? Would you teach us about people around us from this passage? In Jesus' name. Um, it was commented on how it's easy to allow a between-the-series message uh, to slide, to not seem as significant as the other things. That will not be an option for you today. My desire and style of preaching is to be somewhat interactive, and you will not have the choice of sitting idly while this one flies over your head. Okay? I offer you that with some assurance. <clears throat> And my prayer would be that it would not be me that is intersecting you, but the Spirit of God himself. <clears throat> a couple of things that I'd like to offer to you as, as we go into this text together. This is a, uh, a message in anticipation of the coming of a new year. You and I, by nature, during this season, reflect and review how did 2014 go, how has it been, and as we turn past the December calendar mark and into January, starting a new year, what does the new year hold for us? And what can we expect from it? What can we make of it? And what plans should we be pursuing in light of it? It's a time for goal setting. It's a time for reviewing. It's a time for being able to discern what is it that God would want to do with me in 2015. And that's really, in some ways, at the heart of this passage, as we would attempt to, in some way, determine what God would want us to be doing in the days ahead. My title for this message is Taking Ownership of 2015. Now, I want to define terms, so I'll be a lawyer for a minute. Um, by taking ownership, I'm not talking about you possessing it. 
I'm talking about you being responsible in it. When you own something, it means it becomes yours to be accountable for, to answer to, to, to make the most of it. And so what we would desire, what I would desire for you in 2015 is that you would take ownership of 2015 and make it all that it's supposed to be for Christ's kingdom, for his glory. So that's my definition. That's what we're aiming for together by looking at this passage. Because in this passage, you're going to find an individual who took complete ownership of the situation in which he found himself. Contrasted with two individuals who assumed no ownership for what was going on around them. And therein, we're going to find a huge call to ourselves to be willing to possess something, to take ownership of it, to respond to what's around us. And that's what we're being called to. And so the first thing I would like to suggest to you is that you and I are being called to take ownership of our heart. And the focus in the passage that I'd like to draw you to in relationship to that is Jesus talked about this Samaritan, this alien from Israel, this stranger who would be counted as less than a dog. And yet here is a man who took compassion. I want you to focus on that word for a minute, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, we're going to jump back and forth a little bit to the, the priest and the Levite and talk about them some, but our focus today, without question, is going to be on who this Samaritan was and what action he took. And by nature, this word compassion launches it for us because he assumed responsibility for his own heart. He took ownership of his own compassion. The word here literally is internal organs, his bowels, his compassion. Something I found very interesting about this word, and this is going to be in some ways the highlight of this entire message. This word compassion is a unique word. As I studied it out, I found out it is only ever used. Actually, maybe let me give you a number. I want to double check this for sure. This word occurs 17 times as a verb. And every single time it is used, it is either spoken about Jesus or in a parable which he told. There is no one else in the New Testament that is ever described as being compassionate. I was stunned by that. Now, there are other admonitions to be compassionate, to exercise bowels of compassion, but there's nobody else that's described as ever having it except Christ himself. And the focus of that is we consider what it means to be like the Samaritan, to be compassionate, ultimately is to take on the heart of Christ. And for us in this story, it turns the whole significance of it because as we consider the fact that Jesus himself is the Samaritan, my friend, you are the one on the side of the road. 
and he poured himself out, first of all, in his compassion for you and for me. He took responsibility for us. He owned our need as his own. This parable is not simply about caring for hurting people. We cannot reduce it to simply a story about having a heart for somebody that's troubled or hurting. This narrative is about becoming like Jesus. It's about being Christ-like. It's about dying to yourself and taking on the character of the one who has compassion. Is it possible for you to be compassionate? In your flesh, some of you are saying, it's just not the way I am. I'm not the outgoing, caring type. I kind of shrink back when I see need, or my time is consumed with other things, and I just lose focus. I, I want to share something of a personal nature with you. When I was in high school, as many of you would have done this, they give you these personality tests to try to determine what kind of employment you should seek, what should you do with your life. You remember taking any of those tests? I had one of those tests, and the only thing I remember about that test was one of the outcomes. They told me, never go into any profession that has anything to do with people. <laughs> because by nature, I am... To be honest with you, I don't care. I mean, I, it doesn't matter to me. I, I'm not able to relate to people well. I do really well in a back office. I can perform, do all things. But there are some of you, and some of you in this room, that have, from time to time, said things to me about my caring nature and thankful for the way that I've cared for you at different times. Isaiah, would you show them that first clip, that next slide? I had opportunity about seven weeks ago in relationship to the job that I have just taken to take a personality test. This is one line from my personality test. High scores indicating attributes that would indicate some kind of stronger job performance. And this particular line is how I scored in the area of sensitivity. It didn't lie. It didn't lie. I would have hoped, I mean, it's been a long time since I was in high school. My class reunion would be 40 years this coming summer. And I would have hoped, I, I, can't, I became a Christian as a senior in high school, okay? I've been a Christian almost 40 years. And I would have hoped that on my personality test, that it would have changed. Show them the next slide. The only compassion, the only sensitivity, the only empathy I possess 
is given to me by the person of Jesus Christ. If I have any ability to express any of it all, it is not mine. And that's the same for you. There are, no, there are no excuses for us to be unlike Christ. If you are in Christ, there is no excuse to be unlike Christ. That stuff doesn't matter a hill of beans because someday when I stand before Jesus and give account for how I, how I relate to you, he's not going to say, boy, those tests, you would have done better if it hadn't been for those tests. Because he's calling me to die to that stuff. That's in the flesh. It's real. I can't deny who I am. But in Jesus Christ, all things are made new. Old things have passed away. And empowered by his resurrection, I have the ability to die to myself and walk before people like Jesus would walk. To be an ambassador... Great analogy. Thank you for that, Ryan. Talking about the church and how it functions as an embassy. And that makes us ambassadors functioning from the embassy. If you're not connected to the embassy, this is going to be an advertisement, okay? This is thrown in as a freebie, bolstering what they're saying about membership. If you're not connected to an embassy, you are freewheeling and you're in trouble. You're vulnerable. You can't be empowered and strengthened and join together hands with others unless you're walking together under the protective umbrella and covering of the kingdom to which you are connected. you got to be there. Join in. Join hands together to become part of a local membership of Christ. There, end of commercial break. Back to this. The Samaritan in this passage is forcing you and me to critique our heart. Answer it for yourself. How do you respond when you're driving down the highway and see a person in need? That's what we have here. Who were the priest and the Levite? Why are they thrown into this narrative? Why does Jesus offset the character of the Samaritan by these two other key figures? They're both religious leaders. The priest being that individual who's supposed to stand between God and man, offering sacrifices for him and would be able to offer up prayers and incense for him. These, this is the guy who represents the Father to the people. But what he was walking out is religion only. And it's so interesting, this guy doesn't just walk past. He heads to the other side of the road and circles around. He avoids need. There's no compassion. There's no heart. The Levite is a temple worker. He is the guy who carries out the physical duties to see that worship can take place. He's, he's the hands-on guy. Gets his hands dirty with keeping things clean. 
and he's the kind of guy that you would think has the physical stamina, ability, motivation to do something, but he passes by. Where's his heart? This is a heart question and a question that I would like to have you search out for your own self and allow the Spirit of God to search out for you. Are you like Jesus when it comes to the needs of other people? Are you willing to take hold of the needs of your own heart, to be responsible for, to be accountable for your own heart? This is down and dirty stuff. This is the stuff that will be on the final exam. I've sat through a lot of classroom instruction. Don't you ever remember that those times? You like those times when the teacher says clearly, write this one down, it'll be on the final. I was writing like crazy. Those are the points I studied. I, I knew I had to know that one. This will be on the final. The day is coming when you'll be giving account. You and I together will be standing before the judge of all the earth and we'll be giving account for our own heart. So don't let it slide. I'd like to give you opportunity, even just now for a moment, to reflect on that. And have you sing a song with me built out of Psalm 139 just one stanza. Some of you may be familiar with this. I hope a lot of you are because other than that you're going to hear a bullfrog solo this morning. But would you quiet your own heart and sing if you know this. Sing it with me but don't sing it to me. This is a prayer sung to the Lord for you to examine and search out your own heart. Search me, O God and know my heart Today, try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Lord Jesus, you know we need your help. Thank you for coming down the road and crossing over to our side. Give us a heart like yours, we pray. Once his heart was where it needed to be, he had taken ownership of his heart. It allowed him next to therefore take ownership of his actions. Two times here, Jesus uses the phrase, he passed by on the other side. One about the priest, one about the Levite. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, as he had compassion, verse 34, it says, he went to him. He took action.
The only way he was able to respond was by being willing to take steps in that direction. He was present where he was. Some of you are consumed. In fact, some of you aren't even here right now. You're not. Your body is, but you're not here. You're someplace else. And because you're someplace else, you're missing what's going on here. You see, the priest was somewhere else as he walked by. He had priestly duties that he was on his way toward. The Levite had work to do. He didn't have time to just deal with some guy on the side of the road. And some of you are not where you are. So, my encouragement to you, and I've had some of you actually say this to me, and I'm thankful for it, wherever you are, be there. I knew Lauren was going to say that because she says that all the time. I'm quoting Lauren. I have to give credit where credit is due. It's part of my bibliology. You need to stop living for a different time. Stop living for a new opportunity. Stop living for tomorrow's hopes. You've got life to live right here. Live fully today. Make this the best now that it can be. Some of you are used to complaining about now. If now was different, somebody's phone wouldn't be ringing. That's okay. I, it was perfect. Thank you for doing that. You could not have planned that better, brother. Because you're not content with now, you're always looking to something else. Thinking of something else, living for something else. And right now is all that you have. And if you're not here right now, you're missing all that you have. You only get now once. And then now is gone. And part of what the Samaritan took opportunity to do and what Jesus was trying to teach through this message was there was a need in front of him right now and he was there. Because his heart was sensitive. Because he had compassion. He could respond right where he was right now and he could steer his course to meet the need that he was given at this moment. There are opportunities, there are needs, there are things that you can be doing right here, right now, that you are called to, that you need to embrace as yours. You need to take ownership of now. Stop allowing the time to slip away because you're looking for something else to live for. Because now is what you've got. Here is where you are. Live to the fullest here and now. Make all of life the breath that you have in you right here, right now. Today is the day of rejoicing. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you've been given. And you need to take ownership of it. You need to be responsible for it. You need to be willing to give account for it right now.
If I'm not careful, I'm going to trip over one of those and go right off the platform. That'll give Ryan an opportunity to take action right now. <laughs> I have an application point for each one of these points. You've already entered into one of them, and you sang with me in an attempt to open your heart. The application for this specific point in the message is this, and it won't be new. Many of you have heard this. You need to reject passivity and accept responsibility. We as a culture are very passive. Passivity is what would cause a whole group of people looking on at someone being stabbed and not take action. Boy, somebody ought to do something about that. That is a um, sorry, my brain isn't completely all here, so I'm struggling to find a word. That's a, an extreme example. But you and I are conditioned to be passive about life every day in small decisions, things that we ought to be taking action on, times when we ought to be embracing something, times when we ought to be doing something, times when we perhaps ought to be sitting still and we're passive about it. Some of your dads are very passive about assuming responsibility for worship in your home. Boy, somebody ought to do something about that. Why don't we have devotions? You know, it won't happen unless you do it. It won't. Time for you to step up, Dad. Time to get off your seat. Time to do it. Take leadership. But before you start leading your family, be good to lead yourself. Take responsibility. Step up. Be accountable for your own heart. You need to reject passivity and accept responsibility. It's yours. Boy, I want to rush ahead. I got so many things to say. I'm trying to pace myself because there's more coming as an application. So we're going to rest on this point at this point with a practice exercise. See, there's an application. There's also practice. You practice because you're saying a song. Now we're going to practice something. You need to all stand up. It takes action to walk out our responsibility. You've got to be willing to move. You have to be willing to get up out of your seat and take action. You've got to reject passivity. Now, you don't need to move from where you are. That would be too cumbersome and too disruptive. But I do want you to do at least a 360. As much as you can in that 360, and this is going to be weird because just at the time when you want to be looking at somebody, they did a 360 and they're looking the other way. I want you to at least look at a couple of people here in the eye. Look at one another here. We generally don't take time to look at each other. I'm, I'm talking about to look at you. You know what happens when I look? I'm moved with compassion. When you take time to look, when you're willing to take action. I can't even imagine how some of you feel. I only have 5% sensitivity. 
You can be seated again. This Samaritan took ownership of his heart. He took ownership of his actions. And because of that, he was willing to take ownership of the needs of others. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He took ownership of the needs of others. You and I must ask ourselves, Say that again. You and I must ask ourselves, for what purpose do we possess anything? Why do you have stuff? I'd like you to consider for the moment a man who possessed everything. He left his father's side to be born of a virgin because you were laying battered beside the road completely unable to help yourself. Left to yourself, you're just dead meat. You're vulture snacks. There is no hope for you. And Jesus Christ used all that he possessed, all the resources of heaven at his disposal to be able to minister to your need. So why do you possess anything? Why is there anything in your hands? Why is it that God has strengthened you to be able to work day by day? Why has he entrusted you to live in the greatest, most powerful, wealthiest nation that has ever existed on the earth? With more resources at your disposal than any civilization has ever had. coupled with the ability to communicate those things farther, faster, and broader than any world has ever, ever known. Why you? Why now? Are you willing to take ownership of the needs of others. That means their needs belong to you. Think about that for a second. That's what this guy's done. The Samaritan was in need. Or excuse me, the guy on the road is in need. 
The Samaritan comes and he assumes those needs to be his own. The needs aren't his, the needs are mine. He takes the needs of that, Samar- that man on the side of the road and the Samaritan assumes them to himself and so he's footing the bill for all of it. He pours out his oil. He pours out his wine. He sets him on his own animal. Emphasis on own in that phrase, by the way. Heavily focused on the fact that this guy viewed whatever he had as belonging to that man right now. And that man's need is his. He takes him and houses him and assumes the responsibility for the debt load connected to that because that need is now his need. You and I are not wired like that outside of Christ. But in Christ, you and I are empowered. We're set free from ourselves. And we're entrusted with the riches of heaven in order to bless other people and care for need in our Father's name. Glory to him. What freedom we own. What rejoicing there is when we can live outside of ourselves. And so what needs are there that you should assume ownership of? Who is your closest neighbor? Some of you are thinking next door, but you've looked too far. Because your wife or your husband is your closest neighbor. Your child is the one who has need that you need to address first. So important not to jump over the needs that are closest to you the ones that huddle at your knees. Because you and I, by nature, want to do something big and something glorious and something that's out there. And God is saying, there's need at your knees. There's need around your table. And I'm calling you first to sacrifice yourself for those needs and to use your resources to assume responsibility to take ownership of home first. It's so important to identify that in the scriptures. That's why 1 Timothy 3 exists. You say, well, what's in 1 Timothy 3? That's where he spells out the, the order for church leadership. Let them be found faithful at home. That's how you know that they're qualified to lead outside of home is because things are going okay there. They know how to lay down their lives for their spouse and their children before they're ready to step out into other responsibilities. Another aside to that, that's why it's so significant for you to pray regularly for our elders. Bless the Lord for families that are intact and healthy. The Limbaugh's and Browns and Marinos that serve amongst us, that they might be able to have the the spirit and presence of Christ in their relationships with with each other, because it's got to start there. And likewise for you and your family, You are useless outside of your walls unless things are healthy inside of them. And so start with a neighborhood at home. But don't stop there. Because you have ownership other places. You have ownership here. 
Whose floor is this that you walk on every week? Whose dust bunnies are in the back corner in that classroom back there? See, there's no dust bunny. Yet, not now. I swept them up this morning. <laughs> Whose responsibility is the lawn that's outside? Who owns that? You do. You're part of the body. Take ownership. Assume responsibility. It's, it's yours to enter into, to embrace. There's an individual who walks through the door who's just, you can tell, this has been a rough week. Boy, somebody probably ought to talk to them. Bingo. Oops, that's not, that's not right to stay in church. Um, that's right. Exactly. But I'm not like that. We already covered that ground. Of course you're not like that, but Jesus is and he lives in and through you. So get past yourself, die to yourself, and go greet that individual and see how you can put your arm around them and care for them. Their need has just become your own. Take action. It's what you're called to. This Christian life isn't just this passive thing that we just we get to ride along on. That's not what it's about. You and I get to be Christ's representatives in a world that desperately needs to see him and know him. Isaiah, would you put up the uh, slide? I guess, Wayne, maybe you're on that side of things. Quit claim deed. Everyone know what a quit claim deed is? It's a, it's a legal instrument used for transferring property from one individual to another, from one entity to another. And it's a very simple legal document. It just says, I owned this, I signed it over to so-and-so, and it gets filed in the county clerk's office, and now all of a sudden ownership is transferred. It can happen with property. There are more complicated documents than this that do those same things, and sometimes they need to be complicated. This one's very simple. In this quick claim deed, however, this is simply acknowledging, I'll read the entire document to you. Quit claim deed. This quit claim deed made the blank day of such and such from, and that would be you, to the Lord. I or we hereby transfer to the Lord the ownership of the following possessions. And then there's lots of space to write down your answers. And then there's a place to sign at the bottom, stewards of the possessions above, and a place for witnesses to sign as well, to be able to hold myself accountable for the fact that I no longer own anything. I'd like to encourage you to consider a quit claim deed in writing in which you state to the Lord, I know that nothing I have is mine. I transferred all, all claim of it to your kingdom. And in a formal way, acknowledge and recognize my stewardship, your stewardship before him. Not even a bad idea to sign it and have somebody else witness it. That way they can help you be accountable next time somebody needs, I was going to say, your car. That isn't your car anymore. Um, I'll give credit for this to 
I, I don't know if it was Larry Burkett or Howard Dayton or one of those financial training guys that uh, included this in a financial thing, and that's where I got it from. Um, worthwhile signing. And I'd be willing to make that available for you if, if you desire to have one. Uh, we can make copies of it if it's something you like to do. That's the practical application of taking ownership of the needs of others. One more point. I don't know how we're doing on time. My family always knows I am rotten at keeping time. Uh, so bear with me. One more point. In the parable of the Samaritan, he's taken possession, taken ownership of his heart, taken ownership of his actions, resulting, therefore, in his ability to take ownership of the needs of others. In order to be able to do that, he also needed to take ownership take responsibility for his resources. And the focus in the passage here that we'd want to draw that from is the fact that he gave to the innkeeper. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. There was a reason why the Samaritan was able to do that. What would enable this man to pay for the needs of another? He worked hard, so he had something to give somebody else. I want to call you to labor diligently in 2015. I want you to take ownership of your schedule in such a way that you don't work in order to be able to consume for yourself, but you work in order to be able to have for the next guy that's laying beside the, the road that, that you can assume responsibility for. You need to work diligently to put yourself in the place of freedom to serve. Slothfulness will destroy your opportunity to serve other people. Slothfulness looks to be served rather than to serve. And you and I need to set our heart to work diligently and joyfully because of the fruit that it will bear for us and the ability to care for other people. We have a culture that despises work. We live for work to be done. What's the motivation for a get-rich-quick scheme? I don't have to work. What's the motivation for the lottery system? I don't have to work. What's the motivation for the weekend? I don't have to work. And you and I hear that message over and over again. Why did Jesus heal people on the Sabbath? He was confronted by it continually. Do you remember the one response he gave? And I, this just came to my head, so you're hearing this for the first time just like me. Do you remember the instance Jesus was challenged about healing somebody on the Sabbath and they said that God doesn't work on the Sabbath? And Jesus' response was, my father is working even now, or something like that. That's a paraphrase, but it's close. And the point was, ever since the fall, God hasn't quit working. He set us a pattern of a 
Sabbath rest, and he expected his people to keep that. But God is busy. Boy, what, what, a, what a march we had through the Gospel of Mark. Did you have the sense that Jesus is marching through the Gospel of Mark? Over and over and over again, it says, and immediately. And Jesus went here, and then he was there, and Jesus was busy about his father's business. Doing righteous work. And you and I need to embrace the reality of how good it is to labor for the king. Be diligent for him, because it will produce resources with which you can serve him and bless others and meet needs. The Samaritan was working when he came across the guy on the road. He was a merchant on his way. The guy on the road was a merchant on his way who got clobbered. The the Samaritan had resources because he was laboring diligently. You need to embrace that. Own 2015 as a year to be able to work for the king. Give yourself over to working and serving for him. Do not allow slothfulness and and, uh, the, the hunger for leisure and entertainment to steal from you the life that God has given to you with which to serve. That is a battle that you and I need to continually fight because we have a culture that constantly bombards us with the need to be amused somehow and to live for leisure and to live for pleasure, the hedonism of our day. So I would encourage you again to work diligently to put yourself in the place of freedom to serve. Exercise wisdom in how you use what's entrusted to you so that you don't just continually consume, but rather you become a steward who invests. Leverage what's given to you so that it can be a blessing to as many as possible. A practice session for that specific application. I'd like you to consider... For just a moment, and then maybe give some more time to it during the course of this next week as you prepare yourself for a New Year's celebration. What one thing can you do or change in your habits or practices that would increase your freedom to serve others in 2015? I didn't say make a list of ten. Because you can't handle a list of ten, and neither can I. What one thing could you change in your habits or practices that would increase your freedom to serve others in 2015? Anchor it in your heart. Make a commitment to change it. Do something with it. Ask somebody else to help you with it. There's somebody around that can mentor you in that area of your need. I believe everybody ought to have several mentors. None of us should have just one mentor. And nobody should have no mentors. 
One mentor can't carry you. Several mentors can speak strengthen their various giftings in your life. Search somebody out that can help you in that one area that you need to change this year. You got it in your brain? You're not going to walk out of here and not do something with it, are you? I mean, wouldn't that be a shame? You've wasted your whole time here if you're going to just walk out and not do something with it. The purpose that we're together is to be able to grow and be strengthened in our discipleship walk. So do something with it. It'll be on the final. And then one final challenge that I have for you. One final practice exercise. And we'll be done. I want you to write down the name of one person to whom you will show compassion before today is out. Have your pen out? Come on. Write down. Write down. Write down the name of one person to whom you will show compassion before today is out. In some way, take ownership of a need that they have. Their need is now yours. What are you going to do with it? And as you consider that need, let's bow together before our Redeemer and Savior who will empower us to be like him in the midst of it. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, our shepherd, our compassionate Savior, who knows our need, who has our name written on his hand and has extended himself to be able to meet us and care for us. Help us to be like you as we embrace 2015. For Jesus' sake.